Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Here's something for you to think about today. I want you to imagine entertaining the idea that God, as in God Almighty, is actually capable of changing God's mind and that our Lord can actually and does reverse course on particular divine decisions. That might be a stretch for you, especially if your habit is to think of God as unmovable, unchanging, inflexible. Sometimes in the Psalms, we speak of God as a rock. And since when is a rock ever flexible or changing of shape? 
But in the Old Testament, there's a number of places where we find God actually does change God's mind and reverses course. And as for me, I find these passages to be rather inspiring. They remind me that God is in tune with creation, capable of hearing my prayers, my needs, my hopes, and yours as well. And I also get reminded by these particular passages that I have the capacity to change my own mind as I grow in awareness or learn new things or acquire new sensitivities or deepen my own compassion. I find it really inspiring to be able to change one's mind and to find an example in the Lord. And so as we all try to figure out when and how it is that we need to be open and understanding of the world, not closed and inflexible and so set in our ways and words, I think of a passage like the one I'm going to read to you now from the book of Exodus, the 32nd chapter, which inspire my message for today. Here we are, Exodus, the 32nd chapter, beginning at the 7th verse. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, they have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the ways that I commanded them, and they have cast for themselves an image of a calf. They have worshipped it, and they have sacrificed to that calf, saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now leave me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. As for you, I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn so hot against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians be allowed to say it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, and you said to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they will inherit it forever. And God changed God's mind about the disaster that God had planned to bring on God's people. So reads the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. So now a message about God changing God's mind and how that might impact the ways we think about our own words and our own minds. Take a listen. For those of you who know or can well remember the legacy of George Wallace, former governor of Alabama, you have no problem recalling that he was pretty much the embodiment of resistance to the civil rights movement. America's most notorious segregationist, in a way, one whom Dr. King once referred to as the most dangerous racist in America. He sent armed state troopers 
to attack peaceful civil rights marchers. He closed the entire public school system of Alabama in resistance to the federally ordered integration of schools. He authorized a sovereignty commission which spied on any Alabama residents that were advocating for civil rights or voting rights. He transformed the all-white state patrol into troopers who wore the Confederate flag on their uniforms. He stood at the entrance of the University of Alabama doors and blocked any admission of black students. And in 1963, in that famous inaugural speech he gave as governor, a speech that was written by a Klansman, he said, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. To know George Wallace is also to remember that he was shot in 1972 in Laurel, Maryland, while on the campaign trail as he was running for president, an event that, as most of you know, altered his life. He was paralyzed from the waist down from that moment forward. And when he was in the hospital, recovering from that gunshot wound, he was visited by Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, a black congresswoman who was also running for president. Chisholm paid a visit to his hospital bedside. The details of the conversation which we'll never, ever fully know. But as Chisholm later described her conversation with George Wallace, she said he cried and he cried and he cried. She was criticized by her supporters, but to them she said, we have to remember that we're all human beings. And you have to try and break through to open up and enlighten other people who may hate you. And she said, reflecting on the visit, she said, I believed I could help him regain his humanity and make him open his eyes to see something he had not seen before. Well, it's George Wallace's daughter, Peggy Wallace Kennedy, who would remark for the rest of her life, that it was after Chisholm's visit, Shirley Chisholm's visit to that hospital room, she said, that my father started to change. And change he did. He publicly renounced his racism. He asked black leaders repeatedly for forgiveness. He appointed a record number of black people to state positions, some 160 or 170 uh, African-Americans to positions in the government. He spoke in the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church a block from the Capitol where King preached for seven years. And upon his death in 1998, John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis and others surrounded him and publicly forgave him. He will always be a complex character for sure, to some an irredeemable villain, but to so many others including the black community, where he received 90% of the vote in his next run for governor. He did, in fact, grow by changing his mind. To have a change of mind or a change of heart when we are wrong or when we are mistaken 
or when we are blind to some really important truth. This is a beautiful thing. To be able to alter course or to reverse our ways or of thinking when we have wronged others or disrespected them or been too certain of our own certainty. This is a magnificent move that is open to all of us. It doesn't take place as commonly as it should, but when it does take place, it's beautiful. Now, somewhere along the way, we Christian people, or many of us, picked up the idea that to change one's mind is spiritual weakness. Far preferable, we've often told ourselves, to stay absolutely consistent, unwavering in our words and in our thoughts, to convince ourselves in some kind of quiet way that we either know perfect truth or we're pretty close to perfect truth. And when you know or when you're pretty close to perfect truth, there's no need to admit error or misjudgment. Why alter your mindset or your perspective when you have everything figured out? We're all capable of resisting a re-examination of our most cherished assumptions. Among the more glaring public examples of an incapacity or an unwillingness to reevaluate cherished assumptions, I always think of Lyndon Baines Johnson, this recorded in uh, a biography about him. Obviously, LBJ was famous for all kinds of significant legislation, but he was also infamous for his handling of the Vietnam War. And in 1969, after he left the presidency, he reflected retrospectively about the war. I never felt I had the luxury of re-examining my own basic assumptions, he said. Once the decision to commit military force was made, all of our energies were turned toward vindicating that choice and finding a way somehow to make it work. How sad and how tragic. If Columbus had not re-examined assumptions about the earth being flat, we'd probably all be living in Madrid and speaking Spanish. For any of us to get locked in, in assumptions about ourselves or about the world or about other people or whatever, to get locked in is a pity. For all of us who are capable of buying into the notion that to change our mind is somehow to capitulate to weakness or to inconsistency, we need to pay attention to the example of God, who in numerous places in the Old Testament changes God's mind. You know, we're attached to this idea that God is unmovable, that God is a fortress. That God is inflexible. That God is a rock. Yeah, rocks are not very flexible, are they? It's a notion that the ancient Greek philosophers put into our heads. Aristotle among them just planted in the Western mind this notion of divine immutability. God cannot change. Static. Changeless. In other words, God's manner and purpose and mind are totally unaffected by the workings of this world, totally unswayed 
by the movements of this world. But take note, the Bible does not equate divine constancy with divine inflexibility. Yes, the Lord is steadfast. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is loving. These are constants. But throughout Scripture, God proves that God is ready and willing to change God's mind. And it's not deficiency. It's a beautiful thing that shows God is in tune with creation. When Moses went up the mountain to receive those Ten Commandments, and it took forever for him to come back to his people at the bottom of the mountain, they grew impatient. They wondered, did he get sick up there? Did his mule break a leg? Well, when you get impatient, you think and you do some odd things. And they took all their golden jewelry, their earrings and their brooches and their pins and their necklaces, and they melted them down into this little statue of a cow, the golden calf. And they traded their obedience and their allegiance to God for worshiping this little statue. If you're wondering where the word sacred, the term sacred cow came from, that's it. And God gets furious, furious. God shouts at Moses, your children, they're misbehaving. They're behaving with total depravity and perversity. They are stiff-necked and stubborn people. And I will consume their very existence. If you don't know what it means for my wrath to burn hot, he says, just watch and wait. Well, Moses pleads with God. Moses begs with God. This is what you can do when you have a relationship with God. It's what prayer is for all of us who have a relationship with God. It's a conversation. It's why we intercede. It's why we pray for other people. Not to get God to do exactly what we want, but to have God be responsive in God's own way to earthly circumstances. So Moses appeals to God's reasonableness. You just delivered these people. What are you talking about? Moses appeals to God's reputation. You know what the Egyptians are going to say? Oh, you Hebrew people, you are suckers. Moses appeals to God's promise. You talked about multiplying your people, and now you're talking about killing them? God took that relationship with Moses seriously, and God changed God's mind about the calamity, the disaster that God had planned to bring upon the people of Israel. Exodus 32, verse 14. The immutable, unchangeable, inflexible, static, according to Aristotle, mind of God, changed. The God of Israel, yes, is open to change. And one of the reasons why we pray, one of the reasons why we drop all kinds of supplications, you know, petitions into the lap of God, is not so that God will adjust God's ultimate goals. But we do so believing that God has a genuine openness to working out a future with us and in relationship to us. Yeah, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the Scriptures put it. But let's not confuse constancy with inflexibility. Change is our constant companion. Faith is all about change. It moves, it evolves with time. This is a good thing. Openness to change is not a deficit. Remember a couple in my office a couple of years ago preparing for marriage, 
they're in their late 30s. He was 37, I know. And I remember vividly as he described the, the challenge of changing his thinking. I've been a bachelor for my entire adult life. I'm just used to living so independently. I know how to take care of myself. And now I have to realize that I don't come first. Constancy of character. It's critical for us. It's so important to be able to change our perspectives and insights and opinions while remaining true to who we are. And it takes courage to be true to yourself. As for the character of God, mercy is built into that character. That character doesn't change. What changes is the need to constantly interpret that character for changing circumstances. What is good parenting? Good parenting is adults whose decisions and behaviors and discipline for children is shaped more by the parent's own character than by whatever the behavior of the kids happens to be on any given day. The goal of parenting is to remember the long view, right? Do not let emotions get the best of you help kids become well-functioning people, and it's your character that makes that happen. It's the character of God that informs the way God behaves with the people of Israel and allows God to change God's mind, even more so than their sins dictate God's character. What inspires this divine change of mind? I rather think it probably has something to do with love. Because love is what tends to bring this dogged certainty of ours to its knees. We know that love can soften a calcified heart. There are things that love will not do. There are places that love will not go. There are utterances that love will not speak. And if the character of God is love, well then it makes a whole lot of sense that God prefers behaviors and thinking that expresses love. For us, humility can do just as much as love. What is humility but a sign of self-confidence? means we're secure enough to be able to alter our views based on new information and new circumstances. The longer I live, the bigger God becomes for me. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty embarrassed by some of the things I used to think and used to believe and used to cherish. It's not as if I found it or you found it, but we're on our way, aren't we? And so let's give thanks to God for what's not a spiritual deficiency, but a gift to be able to open our minds and change our hearts based on the humility and the love that make us who we are. Amen.
Would you please pray with me as we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you with a constancy of character, a steadiness of integrity, and an openness to changing your mind when the circumstances of life are calling you to do just that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.